Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Dreamboat from 1952. The studio was 20th Century Fox, and the release date was July 26, 1952. The running time, 83 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3 out of 4 stars. He says it's a clever romp, while silent star Ginger Rogers crashes in on TV showings of her old movies to the chagrin of co-star Clifton Webb, who is now a distinguished professor. Scenes showing their old silent films are most enjoyable. Now, I'm sure this was one I discovered on Turner Classic Movies, and then once 20th Century Fox and other studios started distributing their DVDs on demand model for classic films, this was an easy purchase for me since I'm a big fan of both Ginger Rogers and Clifton Webb. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Clifton Webb plays Thornton Sayre. Now, I covered Webb's early career in the Sitting Pretty episode, and between that film in 1948 and Dreamboat, he starred in two sequels for the Sitting Pretty series as his character, Mr. Belvedere. But his most popular film in that time span was the original version of Cheaper by the Dozen with Myrna Loy, which was later remade by Steve Martin. Ginger Rogers plays Gloria Marlowe. Now, I covered Rogers' early career in the Monkey Business episode with Cary Grant, which was released the same year as Dreamboat. And I've always thought Rogers was a very underrated comedic actress since she's best known for her musicals with Fred Astaire in the 1930s and 40s. But I recommend giving her later era films a shot. And Frances plays Carol Sayre. And this was one of Frances's early films. She would go on to be a staple on TV shows, like Honey West playing one of the first female detectives on television. But her biggest movie role was the sci-fi classic Forbidden Planet with Leslie Nielsen. The director, Claude Binion. Now, Binion was best known for his work as a screenwriter, writing over 50 films in his career. He actually started as a journalist before writing screenplays in the early 1930s. He only directed eight films, with Dreamboat being his best known. All right, let's get into the film. So it begins with English literature professor Thornton Sayre, played by Clifton Webb, lecturing his college class about the famous Shakespeare soliloquy in Hamlet. Of course, to be or not to be. One of the students is selected to read out loud and just butchers it. Thornton decides to perform the soliloquy himself to give the class an example of the proper phrasing and emphasis on certain words. Thornton is a single father whose daughter, Carol, played by Anne Francis, also attends the college. Carol is a bit stuffy like her dad and only focuses on her studies. However, she gets an invite to go to one of the sororities that night, though the invite is cryptic. Carol arrives at the house and is suspicious and annoyed by the invite since it involves her watching a TV program that is scheduled for that evening. Specifically, it's the showing of a silent film made 20 years prior. The program is hosted by Gloria Marlowe, that's Ginger Rogers. The film stars her and the heartthrob actor of the era, Bruce Blair. The film involves the typical Zorro swashbuckler hero flick of the era. The payoff at the end of the campy film shows Blair kissing Gloria Marlowe passionately. It's obvious to Carol and the rest of the sorority and their guests that Bruce Blair, quote-unquote dreamboat, was played by the younger version of Carol's father, Thornton Sayre. Carol is upset and embarrassed and leaves abruptly from the house. She arrives home shortly after and refuses to speak to her father. Thornton then receives phone calls asking for Dreamboat and the various perfumes that were the sponsors of the TV program. Completely confused, 
Thornton goes up to talk to Carol in her room. Carol? Carol, open the door. Go away, you dreamboat. Dreamboat? Open this door. Open it immediately. Carol, you're behaving like an hysterical child. Now, if something is wrong, let's discuss it calmly and intelligently. If something is wrong, I, your own daughter, have to find out your horrible secret from almost total strangers. My, my horrible secret. You know what I'm talking about. You, you, Bruce Blair. Oh. So you know. How did you find out? You were on television tonight, at the Try You house. Television? That's impossible. I've been here all evening. It doesn't matter where you are. It's your past I'm talking about. They were showing an old movie. No. Yes. The room was jammed with idiots howling at the shameful way you were making love to Gloria Marlowe. It was ghastly. This is vicious. Those pictures were made before you were born. It's like exhuming a man from his grave. Oh, Dad, why didn't you tell me? Because I chose to forget that I'd ever been in Hollywood. After all, it's not like a criminal trying to conceal his record. But imagine the shock to me. Here, I'd always thought of you as a dignified, intellectual person. I've done everything I can to be like you. And then, all at once, to find out the truth. But you don't know the truth. I was a teacher before I became an actor, the same as I am now. The Hollywood interval happened when I... when I met Gloria Marlowe. Were you married to Mother, then? Of course not. Anyway, against my better judgment, I consented to be Miss Marlowe's leading man. Were you in love with her? The only woman I ever loved from the day I met her till the day she died was your mother. I'm sorry, dear. But how can we face people now that they know that Gloria Marlowe called you Dreamboat? So that's the reason for those calls. She's advertising perfumes with terrible names like Double Passion and My Five Sins. Five? the way the kids made fun of you. We'll never live this down, never. My dear, I admit this is shocking news to me, but it's only momentary. All right. For a day or so, the students will make their asinine little jokes about Bruce Blair, and then they'll forget it. Do you think so? I know so. You make it seem so simple. That's only one of the duties of a competent father. Good night, my dear. Good night, dear. Bruce Blair, the dreamboat. What's charming about the film is that something like appearing in a romantic silent film would be construed as lowbrow back then. Today, the only way to get the same reaction would be if a, the college professor was once in the porn industry. And it just shows how times have changed. The next day, Thornton is called in to meet with the college president, Dr. Matilda Coffey, played by the great Elsa Lanchester. And she wants to talk about the uproar the TV program caused across campus. The majority of the uptight board members wish for Thornton to resign, but he refuses. Dr. Coffey is a bit more uh, understanding. Well, this is an unpleasant mess, Mr. Sayer. You're putting it mildly, Doctor. It's quite a decision I must make. I realize how importantly this may affect your future as a teacher. This is the only work that means anything to me. Any consideration you give will be deeply appreciated. I wonder. 
You know, Thornton, I've liked you ever since you first came here. I've liked you very much. Uh, thank you, Doctor. I've admired you, too. You're a very brilliant person. Has it never occurred to you that I'm also a woman? Yes. Right now, as a matter of fact. I'll tell you a secret, Thornton. Uh, many years ago, I was a devoted fan of Bruce Blair's. I hated Gloria Marlowe every time he took her in his arms. I adored his handsomeness, his devil-may-care attitude, his wickedness. And when you came here, I never actually realized who you were. Except I felt a strange attraction to you. The same as I'd felt for Bruce Blair. And now, finally, I know why. Uh, doctor, get hold of yourself. Uh, you rang for me, Doctor? Uh, yes, the doctor rang. Uh, I had a fainting spell. Would you bring me some water, please? Oh, of course. As I said before, uh, thanks for everything. Saved by the buzzer. That night, Thornton and Carol drive to New York in an attempt to stop Gloria Marlowe from continuing her airing of past Bruce Blair films. However, it seems the nostalgia of the old films has caused a craze as another one of his films is airing that night on TV, as he and Carol discover when they stop at a roadside diner for dinner. The waitress is so enamored with the film on television that she barely acknowledges the two. Now, the silent films shown are just terrific because they're really well-done parodies in a over-the-top sort of way that certain silent action films were... That's how they were shot in the early days of cinema. And just like today, when there is a fondness for things from the past, the younger generation is enjoying the campiness of the earlier days. And both Rogers and Webb overact perfectly in these recreations. After Thornton gets fed up watching the film, he shuts off the TV to the anger of the waitress, but then she recognizes him as Bruce Blair and promptly screams, then faints. <laughs> Thornton and Carol hurriedly leave and get back on the road. You sure those pictures were meant to be shown to the public? Times and moral standards have changed, my child. That waitress, the way she reacted to your kiss eye, I felt as if I were peeping through a keyhole. Naturally. Those pictures were designed to capitalize on the vicarious cravings of middle-aged glandular cases. Dad. Yes? Did you realize at the time what a bad actor you were? My child, at the time those films were made, I was recognized as one of the few real talents in Hollywood. Furthermore, I ranked second in a nationwide popularity poll. Who was first? Some stupid police dog. I've forgotten his name. But I'll have you know that my salary was three times more than his. Which way are you going? The next day, Thornton and Carol arrive at the talent agency and meet with the president of the company, Sam Levitt, played by Fred Clark, who is delighted to see Bruce Blair since TV airings have made him the hottest thing in show business at the moment. Thornton also gets another surprise. No. Thornton, my boy, it's like you stepped right out of a grave. What did I tell you what's happened? Well, like the 20,000 fan letters I got stacked up in my filing room. Why haven't you burned them? <laughs> it's a wonder that some of them haven't burnt themselves up. You know, this is the craziest thing that's ever happened in all the years I've been in show business. The correct word is catastrophic. Thanks. Who saw fit to resurrect those old films? I did. Now, 
I bought the negatives for peanuts. Oh, strictly out of sentiment for you and glory, of course. And I dubbed in the music and the sound effects. Then this perfume company came along looking for a way to sell their junk on television. Don't do and that. wham. Look at these things I have on the desk. Do you realize you can have your pick as a guest on any of the live television shows for top money? I don't... The endorsements that you can collect on. Vitamins, bourbon, canned oysters, underwear. I don't... And this will really kill you. After all these years, three nibbles from Hollywood. Mr. Levitt. Apparently, you have no idea why I came here. Dreamboat! <laughs> Dorothy told me about it. I couldn't believe my ears, but you look wonderful. Now, Blair, if we can just get another one. Yeah, this time with your arms around her. Uh, gentlemen, I was under the impression that I'm in a private office. Well, what's the matter, darling? This is wonderful publicity. I'm in conference with Mr. Levitt, and I insist upon privacy. Well, I'll see you later, boys. We'll, we'll straighten this thing out. Where did they come from? Good newspaper men are always where there's a good story. What do you think of our pal here, crawling out of his hole? Well, I think it's wonderful. Did you ever think this would happen to us again? <laughs> Washed up for so many years, and then all at once, poof, we're right back on top again. <laughs> I was telling him of all the offers waiting for him. Well, it's nothing compared to what we can do together. Of course, I've done very well on my own. But people do think of us as a team, and all of show business is open to us again. Oh, darling, thanks for coming back. Mr. Levitt, may I tell you once and for all why I am here? I have come to stop the showing of those incredible pictures which you so ghoulishly plucked from their grave. You've come to stop them? You mean after all they've done for glory and now what they can do for you, you want to stop them? The sooner the better. Where have you been all of these years? In a cage? You wouldn't understand. But I have been engaged in a profession where I actually am permitted to use my mind. I am a teacher of Latin and English literature at Underhill College. You mean you quit the big dough in Hollywood to go back to that? No wonder we couldn't find him. Who'd ever think you'd be so stupid? I told you you wouldn't understand. But at least you can appreciate that the showing of those old pictures makes it impossible for me to maintain a dignified and respected position as an educator. Wait just a minute. This is my television show you're talking about. What makes you think you can stop it? A fair knowledge of my rights as a citizen and an individual. Reviving these films is a rank invasion of my privacy. You've got to think of Gloria. After all, she gave you your first break in Hollywood. How well I remember. There I was, lecturing at the University of Southern California, minding my own business, and she saw me on the campus. Before I realized what was happening, I was in full makeup, wearing a pair of silk tights and brandishing a rubber sword at a former real estate agent from Cleveland. I have thought of you often and bitterly. Why, you ungrateful worm! Mr. Levitt, either you withdraw those pictures from television or I'll secure an injunction. Just a minute, it's not as easy as all that. There's contracts I signed. I, you got to give me time to think. Sam, I warn you, if you take those pictures off of television, I'll sue you for breach of contract and collect. You see what I mean? From all sides, I'm getting it. That's your problem. I've told you what I expect from you, and you better get busy immediately. Good day. While Thornton was battling Levitt and Gloria, Carol was being escorted around town by one of the employees of the agency named Bill Ainsley, played by Jeffrey Hunter. Bill figured Carol was a museum type, and therefore, those were the types of sites he took her to. 
However, when Carol questioned Bill where he normally takes guests, he said, well, it's usually to the normal hotspot nightclubs, to which Carol becomes indignant that she was pegged as a bookish nerd. Levitt invites Thornton to dinner at a swanky restaurant to try to get Thornton to reconsider being part of the Bruce Blair revival. Thornton actually enjoys the dinner, but is firm in his refusal of reliving his past. However, it's a convenient setup by Levitt, because the singing performer that evening at the club is Gloria. After her performance, Gloria has a trick up her sleeve. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. This is a great thrill for me, after so many years away from the spotlight. But even a greater thrill is the fact that someone is here tonight who is very dear to me. This man, the same as I, was brought back to his public through the miracle of television. There's a reason for his great popularity after so many years, and that is because he's one of the finest actors the screen has ever known. His artistry will endure as long as motion pictures are shown. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present your all-time favorite, Bruce Blair. She shouldn't have done that. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I would like another coincidence in an evening filled with subtle touches. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Marlowe has asked the orchestra to play Avalon, a song which at one time held a particular significance for both of us. Avalon is a resort of sorts off the coast of Southern California. And I would be most happy to learn that an earthquake had sent her to the bottom of the sea. <laughs> As a man long since returned to private life, I am not happy about being called upon to appear before you, but your reception has been most kind and I believe sincere. For that, I am deeply grateful. Gloria takes Thornton backstage and explains why the revival of the past films is important to her, as the current publicity from television has allowed her to land more live performances. If Thornton has the TV airings pulled, this will harm her career. While driving back Gloria to the hotel she lives in, Thornton explains his reasoning. I realized, Gloria, that what I'm going to do will hurt your professional career, but there's no other choice for me. If I don't stop your showing of our older pictures on television, all the years I've worked to maintain my standing as an educator will be wasted. I understand. It's quite a situation, isn't it? One of us must lose everything he's ever lived for. And I guess I'm it. It isn't as if I've thrown you into the street. You have money. I? I haven't a penny. But those clothes, those furs, your jewels. All rented. Rented to keep up a front. I, I don't understand. You're drawing a salary on television? The bare minimum. The real salary was to have come later. What about the nightclub? Well, to be perfectly frank with you, darling, up until a few months ago, I was almost hopelessly in debt. Now I'm paying off, getting ready for the big breaks. Why 
has he stopped here? Because this is where I live. Just wait. This is all so depressing. I had no idea. Oh, it's all right. After you get accustomed to it. You may think this is silly after so many years, but in memory of... Good night. Good night, Gloria. As it turns out, Gloria is simply a great actress herself, and the story of staying at a low-class hotel was just a ruse to garner empathy from Thornton. She really lives in a high-end apartment. Thornton is conflicted, and he's bought into Gloria's tale about being deeply in debt, and he is now not as steadfast against removing from air his past films and potentially harming her career. And Carol, on the other hand, doesn't really care about Gloria and is only concerned with her father's career and her own reputation at school. In the meantime, Bill calls Carol to apologize about assuming that she was a bookish type, and offers to take her to dinner at a nice restaurant that night and to whatever club she'd like to see afterwards. Carol accepts the invite. Thornton decides to visit Glory at the supposed flea bag hotel she lives in and gets a rude awakening from the clerk. Give me the key to my room, will you, buddy? I'm telling you, you don't get the key till you pay for your room. Boo, sure, you got enough dough for booze, but when it comes to a place to flop... Announce me to Miss Marlowe, please. Now, scram. Oh, yes. Boop. Miss Gloria Marlowe, aren't you familiar with your own guest list? We ain't got it, Gloria. Wait, are you talking about Gloria Marlowe, the dame on television? Crudely put, but true. <laughs> now what would she be doing here? Hey, that was her last night. What do you mean? The dish in the fur coat. Of course, I brought her here. She walked in, and I asked her what she was doing here, and she said, I think I made a mistake. Would you call me a cab just like that? You mean she actually doesn't live here? Are you kidding? Don't you read the fan magazines? That dame has saved the dose since she was 18. And she made it before taxes. So Thornton goes to Levitt's office after the hotel bombshell and also finds Gloria there. Sure, Dorothy, send her right in. Come in, honey. I'm, uh, I'm sorry I had to leave you and Sarah last night. I'll bet you are. You framed me. You knew I'd do anything on earth to keep those films on television. How'd you make out? I can't be sure yet, but I have a hunch the dreamboat is going through a change of mind. Wonderful, wonderful. How'd you work it? <laughs> There's certain things a woman doesn't like to talk about. Oh. Excuse me. Yes? Tell the girl to send him right in. I don't care what you did, honey. It worked. Oh, maybe you'd better let me wait outside while you talk to you him. You stay right where you are. We three have got deals to talk oh. over. Big deals. Come in, my boy. Come in. I'm uh, sorry I had to run out, honey. That's you quite all right. I understand. Good morning. Good I'm, morning, darling. I'm delighted you're here. Now we can get a, everything settled at once. Fine, fine. You're a smart man, my boy. I knew you'd see the light. Yes, finally I saw the light. First, concerning my original desire to have my motion pictures withdrawn from television. So what? Everybody goes off half-cocked sometimes? One half hour ago, I instructed my attorney to secure a restraining injunction. You're filing suit? No. 
Yes, my boy, definitely yes. But last night... Last you... night, Miss Marlowe, you gave one of the poorest performances of your entire career, which is quite an achievement. Now, just... And a... yours was even worse. Do you think that for one moment I was taken in by that overripe rendition of Bertha, the sewing machine girl? Or that shabby hotel routine? Or that bilious display of sentimentality? Now you... Oh, do da 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 Oh, no. I beg your pardon. I'll see you two charming characters in court. What a job of fixing you did. Something's happened to him. He wasn't like this last night. Well, Sam, you've got to stop him. He's going to ruin us. You think you're giving me information I don't know? Yes. Dorothy, get me my lawyer. You'd better get your lawyer's lawyer. That night becomes quite an evening for both Thornton and Carol. Carol awkwardly goes on her date with Bill, and it's obvious she never learned how to dance in her school studies. In the meantime, Thornton decides to get a drink at the hotel bar, and of course, one of his old movies is showing on television. It's a very funny scene because there is a couple next to Thornton watching along. The wife enjoys Bruce Blair, while the husband groans every time he's on screen. Thornton takes offense to the man's comments about his acting, and the two end up getting into a brawl when the man takes a swing at Thornton. Thornton ends up watching the TV for tips about how to fight and ends up mimicking the same moves on the guy in the bar. It's a really fun scene to watch. Back to Carol. In order to shed her bookish persona, she asks if she can go back to Bill's apartment. Bill, of course, agrees and acts like a gentleman and is surprised by Carol's forwardness. It's warm in here. Yes. I've been looking at your trophies. I guess it's always warm in here. I barely know those women. Telegraph pictures are a dime a dozen in show business. Well, now that we're here, what are you going to do about me? Do? Well, I did. You guessed I was a museum type. Let's find out. liked it very much. So did I. You know, that's the first time I've ever been kissed. What's the matter? Nothing. I'd better take you back to the hotel. I have to find out something. Am I the museum type? This is a research laboratory, kid. I'm taking you back to your father. Well, now you're calling me a child. and gets overdoing it a bit. Look, you're a very nice young lady, and I'm trying to be a gentleman. Now slip into your coat. Go look at me. Said, slip into your coat. Why? I don't trust my own willpower. But you still haven't told me. Am I the museum type? If you are, I've been spending an awful lot of time in the wrong places. So after the barroom brawl, Thornton ran into Dr. Coffey from the college, and she hilariously continues her attempts to woo Dreamboat. That detective dared to arrest me, I'd have taken the case to the highest court. He had no choice. Even the man's wife said it was her husband's fault. The woman seemed quite infatuated with you. Not with me, with that idiotic character, Bruce Blair. What brings you to New York? Bruce Blair, come in. I must talk to you. Why, this room is right next to mine. Yes, a coincidence. Step inside, please.
Why did you say Bruce Blair brought you here? The Board of Trustees at Underhill is getting restless. They want you discharged immediately. But why? I'm doing what I came here to do. I've already filed a petition for an injunction restraining the showing of my films. It's the publicity you've been receiving, Thornton. Particularly that picture showing you embracing <laughs> Gloria Marlowe when you arrived in New York. The board is beginning to feel that as far as you're concerned, you still are Bruce Blair. But this is ridiculous. I'm devoting every waking hour to consigning Bruce Blair to oblivion. I've been sent here to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with you, Thornton. And to find out if you really wish to return to your job as Thornton's heir. The teacher? Of course I do. Then what primitive emotion prompted you to enter a barroom tonight and become involved in a brawl over a woman? You're distorting the facts. No, Thornton. Despite the fact that I am representing the Board of Trustees, I am here to help you. No matter what you tell me, I'm going to recommend that you not be discharged. Thank you, Doctor. But in return for that favor, I want the truth from you. I want you to confess to me that despite every valiant effort on your part, you cannot destroy the fact that basically you are Bruce Blair. I want you to admit that the pose of Thornton's heir is a screen behind which hides the real man that is you. This will be our secret, and no one else shall ever know. What you're saying is fantastic. You're trying to put an utterly false confession into my mouth. No, you listen to me. Bruce. I'm uh, <laughs> You're hurting. My me. name isn't Bruce, and I can take only so much of this tummy rot. I know. And then the real you comes. Will through. you forget this nonsense and listen? Oh, don't touch me, you, you beast. Good night, Doctor. I'll talk to you when you're not so tired. Now what? Stay where you are. Don't come one step nearer. But I have moved. And it was you who followed me in I here. I have to find out the truth about you, no matter what may happen to me. Oh, poor man. You try so hard to live a decent, honorable life, don't you? And then this something inside you breaks loose, and you become a man without conscience or scruples. A man in search of a woman. <laughs> and when this happens to you, nothing else in the world matters. Only this great burning desire, this tortuous craving for love. That's the real you, isn't it, Bruce? Tell me, darling. You have to tell me. Uh, doctor, believe me. Believe me, you are in no condition to discuss anything now. Uh, you've had a long trip. You, you're, you're worn out. Uh, no, Doctor, no. A thousand times no. I'll take you to your room. Sit on me. Thanks for everything. It's been a wonderful evening. It was more than that. It was a revelation. Oh, hello, Carol. Evening, Bill. Well, I'd better say good night. Night. <clears throat> uh, Carol, I, I don't know what came over, Dr. Coffey. She fought me like a mad woman. Maybe you rushed things. Uh, rushed things? Are you insinuating that I was making advances to that neurotic spinster? <laughs> Never mind, Dad. I understand. What? Now. I guess there's nothing we can do about it, Dad. It's in our blood. Good night, dreamboat. All right, there's about 20 minutes left in the film. So will Thornton continue his lawsuit to remove all of his past films as Bruce Blair from television? And what becomes a glory of Bill and Carol? It's all answered in the terrific and very funny final act. 
All right, some fun facts. The gold lame dress worn by Ginger Rogers in one of the scenes was worn again by Marilyn Monroe in a short scene she was in in the film Gentlemen Prefer Blondes in 1953. Marilyn actually visited Ginger Rogers on the Dreamboat set and instantly loved the dress. Marlene Dietrich turned down the role that eventually went to Ginger Rogers. When Thornton tells his daughter that he came in second in a popularity poll, she asks who came in first. Now, he doesn't say the name, just that it was a stupid police dog. Of course, this is a reference to Rin Tin Tin, who made 29 films from 1922 to 31, and more often than not, received top billing. This was the second film to feature Clifton Webb and Anne Francis playing father and daughter. The first was Elopement in 1951. Clifton Webb actually appeared in five silent films between 1917 and 1925. All right, we have our resident classic movie fan, Samantha, who guests to talk about Dreamboat. She saw it for the first time. She's really a trooper when it comes to seeing these classic films, and more often than not, she likes the recommendations, and hopefully you do too. And I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Samantha. Welcome back, Samantha. Hello. So again, I'm going to keep my streak going of, of uh, requesting that you be part of movies that you haven't seen yet. And it's another old movie uh, from 1953, yeah. I believe. 52. Uh, and 52. 52. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's Dreamboat with Ginger Rogers, who we have talked about uh, before when we did the Monkey Business episode, and Clifton Webb. And uh, so I know your feelings about Ginger Rogers and, and you appreciate her movies and, and you like her. What about Clifton Webb? Have you seen any of his films up to this point? So I do not think I've ever seen one of his movies. Oh, wow. Um, I think his name sure sounds familiar. Um, but I really, um, unless I've caught him in something, I don't think I've really yeah I don't think I've really seen anything maybe I just don't know <laughs> did, did you ever see the uh, film noir uh, from 1944 Laura um I'm I'm not sure okay it, it, it's another one it kind of like rings a bell um mm-hmm. but off the top of my head I'm not sure okay because that was his kind of breakout role um, okay and uh, that's a good one. Definitely check that out if you like film noir. I think I think yeah. the other one was like Sitting Pretty, which where he plays uh, uh, Lynn Belvedere, which is kind of based on that TV show of the 80s, Mr. Belvedere. Where he's kind of like a he knows everything about everything. Got <laughs> and, it. Got so that's a good it. one. And then he was in the original Cheaper by the Dozen, which, of course, Steve oh. Martin. Yeah. Yeah. OK. But I think he's the perfect person to fi- kind of play this role where he plays uh, kind of a I wouldn't say uptight, but he's a very prim and proper college professor. Yeah. And uh, he kind of gets caught <laughs> with his past that comes, that kind of comes back to, I guess, haunt him. Do you like those old, are you into silent movies at all? I wouldn't say I'm into silent movies per se. Um, I went through a phase where I was really like obsessed with like 1920s actresses Mm. and I did like a lot of reading about them (laughs) and I would watch, um, you know, the ones that I could find online, but I've never, yeah, really sat and like watched them too much. Um, But I think, I think they're fun more from like a historical perspective. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, um, I think my favorites from them are like Charlie Chaplin because oh, you, yeah. <laughs> you really don't need the way his physical comedy was so good. You don't, yeah. you almost don't need the the dialogue. Um, okay. So getting into Dreamboat, did you, re- did you like the premise and, uh, and what did you, th- and your thoughts about the, about the film? We'll just get right into it. 
Yeah. So I really loved this movie. Um, I thought it was so funny. I love really dry, stuck up characters. (laughs) And I thought that, yeah, Clifton Webb's part, I think, you know, like you said, I think he fit the role perfectly. I think just like the whole package was so, so funny. He just said the funniest things. But of course, to him, it wasn't. He That was just his character. Right. Um, so yeah, I really, I thought it was so entertaining. Um, I really liked the pacing. It wasn't too long. Mm-hmm. I think the premise itself was very simple. So I think the movie, I think was just, it was just the right, it handled it just the right way. Um, and I liked all the um, additional characters. I thought the daughter was a perfect fit to kind of shadow the dad and Mm -hmm. how they both transformed a bit. Um, And then, yeah, Ginger Rogers, of course, I think really made it add, added the glamor side. Um, So, yep. I think I would, I would totally watch this again. I really liked it. (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah. It's kind of that really fun screwball comedy that uh, kind of this era was so, so great at. And another great side character was uh, Elsa Lanchester. Oh, yes. (laughs) She was really good. I know that caught me by surprise. I was like, oh, a little like sexual harassment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But yeah, no, it was, it was funny. (laughs) I always thought that like, cause uh, Ginger Rogers kind of like a co-headliner for this and she's actually, she's in it, but in, in it, you know, significantly, but not as much as you think. Did did you think Mm. that she should be in it more? No, I mean, not really. I think Mm. it was, she she was there for the right right reasons yeah i did think it was a little maybe a little short on them kind of being kind of reuniting because i did want to know a little more about their relationship right um and you know how because all you really hear is that she kind of like discovered him at usc and then they acted together and then but I don't really remember if it was stated like, yeah, why was there a falling out or was there, or did he just kind of, did he, I think he just kind of walked away from it all one day. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I think I would have liked a little more context there and maybe a little more about, you know, like what she's doing these days. Cause there was a, a bit of a joke of her pretending to be poor, but she's actually doing fine. That's <laughs> But yeah, no, I thought it was generally well balanced. The other, the other fun thing, and this is, and it's kind of like that, that, um, you know, the time period between movies when younger people start to watch older movies and how they feel. So this is basically like 30 years in between his acting career, roughly. And so I think, I think I I, I thought it was really funny how they portrayed kind of those silent films, like kind of the overacting and the over dramatized romance. And I wonder if people watching today would get, I mean, how would they feel that way about 50s movies or the way that, you know, people in the 50s felt about the 20s? How did, how did you feel about the, like the throwback scenes and like those faux, uh, you know, 20s films? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was clever how they and it kind of just the combination, right, of how this was when TV started to become a thing. Yep. So they decided, okay, let's put some old movies on TV. But, you know, for this generation, old movies were silent. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they're, yeah, a completely different style. So I thought, yeah, the whole, you know, watching, watching TV via the move via this um, film, I thought it was really clever. Yeah. I think any generation, the, the movies like 30 years plus before are going to feel, feel different. Um, but I think this was a really cool instance where, yeah, from the th- the 20s to fi- to the 50s, so much changed. Yeah. So I think that was really, you know, highlighted by this. Um, but, you know, nowadays, 30 years ago would have been 1990. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's so what feels weird. It doesn't feel like different. much has changed. Yeah. And I mean, with the exception, maybe the internet, and which is a big change. But nothing feels that much different compared to like the 20s to the 50s or even mm-hmm. the 50s to the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, the 50s to the 80s, I think there was definitely a shift from, you know, how the movies, there was more of, you know, the code and the rules and things were much more proper. And nowadays it's, you could watch something that was made in, yeah, 1990 and the storyline would still kind of work, but people would just have like cell phones now. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Great point. That's right. The character of Carol, which is Clifton Webb's daughter okay. in there, how would you have reacted if, let's say, you found out your father, you know, <laughs> had, had some sort of a job like this? Would you have reacted the same way as Carol? No, I would love it, personally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I do think, though, she, in order to make the storyline work, like, the daughter did kind of have to be also, like, very stuck up. Yes, yeah, I think it made sense for her character and what they were trying to achieve there. Um, I did. I think it was a little over the top. Yes. Um, but then again, I think, yeah, looking back at maybe how things were viewed then, they that her generation probably saw those actors and that style of acting as being so cheesy. Mm-hmm. And her dad kind of built his life being, you know, a very respected collegiate teacher so i could see yeah definitely a bit of you know shock and embarrassment <laughs> like, wait a second more not really so much at being embarrassed of you know what he did but more so like not knowing and mm-hmm. like that's he kept it the secret his whole her whole life yeah um, but yeah to- I, I liked how she also kind of changed a bit um, oh, yeah. It was yeah. a little cliche, but I thought That's, it was charming. <laughs> yeah, sometimes cliche is good. I, sometimes you have to almost because yeah. it's got to wrap up like that. Did you, I'm trying to remember, did did her, his wife die? Because they never really mentioned why he's a single father. Yeah, they. there was a brief mention. I think just something came up. I think when they were talking about Gloria or something, mm-hmm. and he mentioned something about, you know, about Carol's mom that he loved her. Okay. You yeah. know, till the day she died or something mm-hmm. like that. So it was either implied or stated that she had died at some point. Yeah, because um, you just assumed that they like Gloria and 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 Bruce Blair slash Thornton were somehow romantically involved and they never were. They were really it was only, you know, uh, co-workers basically. I guess, yeah. It, it seemed like it, because you don't really know also like when they I he also mentioned, I think, that they worked together before mm-hmm. he got married. Um, but yeah, I think it was more of a work, a work thing. So yeah, interesting, interesting dynamic there. It never went 
to like the route where Gloria, you know, is his like old love or something. <laughs> right. In that case, that case there, that that's kind of nice. It wasn't cliched like that. They kind of mm-hmm. kept it, kept it platonic. So yeah. Yeah. So what are your, what are your final thoughts on, on the film? I obviously liked it and you would rewatch it. And, uh, and do you have any movies like this that you could think of that are similar? Um, so first off, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I think what I liked the most was how the, um, they made the fake little silent movies and then interjected those throughout. Um, I, yeah, I thought it was clever how it was put together. Characters were funny. I liked, yeah, like I said, the super dry, droll, um, stuck up, (laughs) um, father and daughter at how they were at the beginning and how they kind of responded to everybody around them. <laughs> um, and yeah, I also really liked how you could see too, how, um, you know, Thornton, you saw little like sparks of him appreciating how people loved him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he, I think secretly he was very proud of, you know, his work and what he did. And he liked the attention, even though he'd never show it. So <laughs> yeah, I liked the different dimensions of the characters and yeah, funny, quick, good, good little movie. Yeah. And as for other, other movies like this, I can't think of any off of the okay top of my head. But you, actually, you kind of brought up a good point. This almost could kind of relate to today. The only difference being that like all of our past because of the internet, everything gets brought up again. And it's almost like you could keep it secret back then until television. So it's almost like stuff yeah. gets brought up. So in, in some ways it, it could kind of be like today in, in, in some ways. Yeah. I know that's something I was thinking about like when I was watching this, because then there were like fan magazines. Mm-hmm. Idol magazines and um, people would, yeah, back in the 20s, like the stars were idolized. Um, yeah. I actually, I collect like vintage stuff and I actually have a set of scrapbooks um, from the silent film era. Oh, nice. Um, that someone would like, they would either get magazines and they'd cut out pictures and stuff about the different celebrities. So, oh, very cool. Yeah, so it was a total thing then. Um, But I think, yeah, what makes the difference is, you know, fast forward 30 years, another generation, when they're watching these old movies come up on TV for the first time, like they're not going to the theater or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like, there's no, um, there's no knowledge about it. Like, they couldn't just, yeah, go on their phones and look up like, you know, the name of the actor see what happened to them that's right um and they don't really know what happened like if you wanted to know what happened to your favorite actor when you were a teenager yeah they had no idea so I was yeah I was thinking a lot about that kind of stuff (laughs) (laughs) when I was watching this and now yeah I think it's totally different nowadays it's still kind of yeah still relevant there's definitely actors who kind of disappear and you don't really hear from them um, until they want to come out and be public. So yeah, and it's kind of nice back then the the autonomy you know that you could have uh, you could actually get lost if you wanted to. It's almost like you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know with the 
the paparazzi these days. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and as we're recording this, it's a day after the 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 major Facebook shutdown. And so um, just Facebook alone, like you get people find, you know, uh, oh, yeah. old, old posts and things like that. So it's, yeah, find it's, anything. If you try right. hard enough, you can find anyone, anything, no matter how hard people try to change their names. <laughs> that, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> Those handles come back. So as always, thank you so much, Samantha, for doing this. Yep, sure. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.